podcast. Thank you for being here. Uh, I am excited to discuss one of the feasts that we are in the middle of right now that I think is super important. And when you understand what it's all about, it kind of, well, it just gets you excited about the Bible and what God is doing and who he is, the depth of his love for us, the depth of understanding he desires for us to have about his timeline and what he's doing with time. And so I want to get into that. I realized last week that this was part of the feast days at this time of year that um, I had not yet touched on. And so we've just got to do it this week. Now, I had sick kids this this last week and was up super late at night with one of them and just a crazy, silly schedule of not really getting much work done, but hanging out with kids and found myself on Twitter late one night while my daughter was having a bath and trying to get rid of an earache, um, found myself on Twitter and having discussions <laughs> with people I don't know, but uh, having discussions about church history and I I guess it had been a long time since I had had a conversation with folks who were completely unaware of some of the things that happened at the Council of Nicaea and with Constantine and these different councils, the emergence of the Catholic Church, and what really happened during this time period was a lot of paganism was officially added to what was called uh, the way at the time, really, but Christianity, I suppose. And there were lots of terms floating around during these time frames, And there were different practices happening with the church, depending on what where you were located. But, you know, around 150 AD, 100 to 150 AD, Marcionism began spreading like rapid fire. We had um, but the church fathers rejected Marcionism, and yet we still had a church that was willing to do away with the teaching and instruction of God and replace it with things like Easter, um, changing the Sabbath day to Sunday officially. That happened with Constantine. And so even though there were some churches in Rome that were already practicing that, those churches had already adopted some of these ideas that were cultural happening at the time. That doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. In fact, it was a very man-made decision. These things did not come from Jesus, nor did the disciples do them, nor did Paul do them. No one in the New Testament advocated for any changing of God's days. It wasn't till 321 AD when Constantine officially declared that they would recognize Sunday as the day of rest and that they would honor soul invictus with the day. And so we have, you know, Constantine is an interesting figure. I think he was a great politician. And it sounds like on his deathbed, he did ask to be baptized. And so by the time he died, perhaps he had converted. But I'm not sure that a full conversion had taken pr- place previous to that. And you can see that in some of what he did. He continued to print Sol Invictus on all the money, even after his so-called Christian conversion. He uh, was willing to add in pagan days into what the scriptures say 
to do in order to unify the kingdom, right? And make the dates easy to keep. And, you know, let's make it easier on ourselves with Passover. Passover is on a different day each year, even though it's always in the spring. But it's on a different day each year. Let's not do that. Let's just have Easter be the day and it'll be on a Sunday every year. And, you know, we will always uh, know to keep that day, even though, and you know this if you've been listening to my podcast, Easter and Passover shouldn't even be considered the same holiday. Passover would be closer to Good Friday, which is also a Catholic invention. Good Friday is not something that was celebrated in scripture by anyone. It was never observed. There was already an observance for Yeshua's passing, and it was called Passover. And so Easter is actually the resurrection. We've talked about this. There was a resurrection holiday given in scripture, told to us by God to keep forever, and it's called first fruits. It's why Paul calls Jesus the first fruits. In the New Testament, it's because what Jesus did in resurrecting from the grave, what Yeshua did on that in that moment, uh, made him the first fruits of the the people who would be able to carry the Holy Spirit with them, the people who would have the covering of Yeshua. It's the first fruits of this amazing opportunity and this line of people, right? And so. We know that the Bible already had laid out holidays for us, and we didn't need to invent new ones or bring in Easter or Ishtar or spring pagan celebrations, and we didn't need to invent something called Good Friday. There's no way Jesus could have died on a Friday anyways. Um, We didn't need to have all these Catholic inventions, but the Catholic Church in their founding documents actually states that they had the right to make changes because they had the keys, you know, that Peter gave, you know, Peter is their rock. And because of that, he gave them the keys and, you know, according to that, they could change whatever they wanted to. Now, if you can show me where that is in scripture, we can certainly have an honest discussion about it, but I'm going to tell you, there's no place in scripture that allows for human beings to do such things. Just because you have the Holy Spirit does not mean that you can change God's laws. In fact, it's the opposite. You should be adjusting to God's laws, not telling him to adjust to yours. And so we have a huge issue there. And so I was in these Twitter discussions and there was a person who came in to the discussion who was really, I don't know what the right word is. This person was attempting to get under my skin and attempting to dismantle things and to just be a bother as a part of the conversation and was kind of crass and fairly flippant uh, about the whole discussion, but was pretending to be a believer. And yet her name, her title actually had to do with ancient Druidic Germanic tribe magic practices. And so I had some discussion with her for a bit, and then I called her out, and I said, what does your name mean? And I knew, and she she refused to talk about it. And I realized, you know, there are people out there, even if they're chatbots, I mean, I don't even know what these things are, right? But they're getting involved in the discussions, and they're not there in sincerity or authenticity. They are truly there just to cause chaos. Well, that's a satanic motivation, right? That's a satanic spirit. And so I am fast. I was fascinated that that was a person that came into the conversation 
and was trying to disrupt everything. And of course, the pro-Constantine supporters were on the side of this Germanic ancient pagan goddess and god worship person. And I thought, well, this is interesting because my claim is that Constantine and the early Catholic Church united paganism and man-made tradition to the Bible, which is called mixing and God forbids it. And of course, here we are in a Twitter conversation and I have a, you know, the pro-Constantine, pro-Council of Nicaea people uniting with the paganists. And so I thought, this is fascinating. All of that to say, listen, I do this podcast for a reason. It is because there are too many people and too many people who call themselves believers out there who know nothing of the things that we discuss here. And yet they're in your Bible. If you go into your house and you sit down and read it, you will find these things and you will find the people in the Bible observing them from Genesis to Revelation and the fact that it is so obviously there and Christians have no idea is frightening to me. We've had a great deception laid upon us. We've had a veil put over us. And the Bible even prophesies that. The Bible says this. The Bible says that the it, <clears throat> I really believe it is the church that will have blindness, that will have a veil over their eyes, that they won't be able to see the truth. And it won't be really till the very end that a lot of that will be revealed to both sides of the aisle, both the Jews who are missing the Messiah and the Christians who are missing the Torah. This needs to get revealed, though, because I believe that people are desiring to walk closer with the Lord. And I can guarantee that observing his days are some of the most beautiful moments to draw close to him and to hear his voice. And so this particular holiday we're going to talk about is the central feast of the seven feast days in the Old Testament that were given for us to observe forever. The word is olam in scripture, and it means forever. God said to observe forever, no matter where you are, no matter what generation. So these are the, this feast day is the center of them. It's the fourth out of the seven. It's the middle. And so if you were, and I've discussed this before, you can go back and find this podcast from last year, but if you're looking at a menorah, which has seven candles, um, each of the feast days are representative of one of those candles. And you've got the center candle, which is the fourth. It represents the spirit of God. It represents Yeshua himself. Remember Yeshua came in the fourth century. Yes. He came in the middle of the set or not the fourth century, sorry, the fourth millennia. Uh, he came in the very middle of what I believe is the seven millennia plan of God. We see it laid out in the first chapters of Genesis when you have seven days of creation and seven days of the week given to us. God has now told you how he is operating with time. And that is how good our God is. He gives you the most important information right at the beginning. You know, we have prophecy that says out of the beginning, God declares the end. Well, if you go to Genesis, you see that God has laid out his timetable in this number seven. And so it is no surprise to me that the central theme, the central celebration in God's feast days has to do with the number seven. It's basically the seven of sevens. It's called the Feast of Weeks or the Counting of the Omer. And what you do with this holiday is from Passover, you count seven weeks of seven plus one. So you end up with 50 days, and at the 50th day, you have what is called Shavuot. In the New Testament, we call this Pentecost. 
And I think this is one of the most important holidays in church history. It is one of the most significant moments. It is the one of the it's the point of Yeshua's coming. Okay, so we have such an important holiday, and we're in the midst of it right now. We're on day 11 or 12 of the counting of the Omer right now, and so we're counting down the days to Pentecost or to Shavuot. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to talk about the number seven. The number seven in Scripture, most Christians understand this, is very important. And it comes up in these really important ways. We have seven spirits of God. We have seven days of the week. We had seven days of creation. We have seven. Seven is a Sabbath year. So they were commanded every seven years to let the land rest and to release debts. Okay. And then you have the Jubilee year, which is a reflection of the counting of the Omer. It's the 49 plus one, every 50 years is a jubilee year. The land is left to rest, but in the jubilee year, this is when interesting things happen with land and land ownership and ownership returns to original owners. Very fascinating command in scripture. There's seven churches in Revelation. There's seven candles on the menorah and there's seven feast dates. You're going to see the number seven come up and when it does... I have found so far 100%. It aligns with all of the other things that come up that are attached to the number seven. So I did a teaching on this at a women's retreat last year, and it was powerful. And it was really meaningful for everyone involved, including myself, because God revealed how his seven spirits and the seven feast days and the seven days of creation and even the Ten Commandments, because seven and ten are aligned. And we can get into that in another time. But how all these things line up, all the ones, all the first place positions line up and their meanings line up and their understanding, all the second, all the third, all the fourth. And so when you get to the middle candle in the menorah or the central spirit in the seven spirits of God, you have Yeshua. You have the one. When you get to the fourth command in scripture, it is remember the Sabbath. It's remember the seventh day. How interesting is that? So this central, this fourth feast, counting of the Omer, is very much aligned with all the fours, okay? When you go into the groups of seven with all the fours that are aligned with Yeshua. And why is that? Well, when we understand time, we understand that God intends to have a millennial reign of Yeshua. And it's called in Hebrews, the final Sabbath rest. We will enter into a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when Jesus returns and he is king on the earth and how things will be run and the peace, right? It's called rest for a reason. There will be wholeness. There will be rest for the earth for a thousand years. What an extraordinary time to be looking forward to if you're on the earth at that time. So we understand that Yeshua is the central candle and that he's the one that comes on the seventh day. So not only did Yeshua show up on the fourth day, he showed up in the fourth millennia, but he's going to show up on the seventh day. He will show up in the seventh millennia to rule and to reign like a King David. This is really important, isn't it? This is such good information. This is what we look forward to. And so it is why I have such a hard time with what Constantine and what the church and what the Catholic church did 
uh, around 300 AD, around that time period, what Marcion did around 100 to 150 AD, this changing of the Sabbath days, Daniel tells us that the Antichrist will seek to change God's days and times. The word in Hebrew is Moedim. Moedim are God's feast days, and the Sabbath is considered one of them, actually. The Sabbath is considered the most important of all of God's holidays. Now, It's not in the lineup of the feast days like Passover and first fruits, and now we're in um, and feast of unleavened bread, and now we're in the counting of the Omer, the fall feast dates, which are prophetic about Jesus' return. We've got um, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you know. So we've got um, oh, and the feast of trumpets. There we go. Feast. Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are the three that are upcoming after we hit Shavuot here. But the Sabbath day, that seventh day, tells you how God has made time. And the fact that it's the seventh day and there's seven feast dates, those seven feast dates are like the details leading up to the seventh, you know, millennial reign, to the seventh millennia when Christ will reign. And so this is very intricate how God has kind of laid this out, but clear. It's clear. It's in your Bible. It's right there. So when we change the Sabbath day or pretend like it has changed, like the church does, the church pretends that it has changed to Sunday because most church leaders will tell you, no, the Bible the Bible only makes claim over one Sabbath day and it's the seventh day. They will admit that because there's nowhere in the Bible that says otherwise. And yet we worship and celebrate on Sunday and we tell people to rest on Sunday or some churches are really free for all. They tell people to rest whenever they want to. But um, that change changes our understanding of so many other things. It changes our understanding of prophecy and of every time and of creation, the wholeness of creation, the fullness of creation happened on the seventh day. That was the day God rested. He chose that day to rest. He chose no other day. There is no other day of rest given in scripture. So when we change it, we lose understanding. We're teaching our children the wrong day. And because of that, they're not going to see the pattern in scripture. And I find that to be tragic because those patterns have so much meaning and depth. And it, again, because the Bible's so consistent from Genesis to Revelation, through all those authors and through thousands of years, this sort of teaching also proves that the Bible is a miraculous book like no other on the earth. You will find nothing this perfectly laid out or detailed. All right, so back to this Feast of Weeks. So we're leading up to Shavuot now, In the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost was the day that Moses received the laws on the mountain from God, when Moses received teaching and instruction from God. And he was able to bring the word of God that was written by the fiery finger of God to the people. Now, what do we see happen on this exact same day in the New Testament? We see the fire of God come down upon people, individuals themselves and give them the ability to use language to communicate God's word to one another in a miraculous way. Do you see how it's almost the exact same event? And it happens 
on the same day? Do you think God has planned out his timeline perfectly? He absolutely has. It's miraculous. It's beautiful. It's marvelous that the Passover happened and 50 days later, they received the teaching and instruction of God. And then Yeshua dies. And 50 days later, they receive the teaching and instruction of God. But instead of, just like Jeremiah prophesied, instead of the law being written on stone, it would be written on flesh. It would be written in the hearts of mankind, making it a better covenant because that is unbreakable. You can't throw that stone down and crush it. When God's teaching and instruction is written on the hearts of mankind, that is an army that you cannot contain. And it's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he is building. This is powerful and this is important. So right now, my friends, we are in the counting of the Omer or the Feast of Weeks. I hope that this teaching has helped you to understand the importance of this holiday and why it is central to all of the holidays because it tells you literally within the holiday itself the point of all of God's plan. And the point is to unite himself to his people. And we have that point taking place both in the Old Testament and the New, because really there's very little new in the New Testament, by the way. It is very much a repeat of the Old Testament. It's just now we understand it more fully as Yeshua taught. He said, what I'm going to do is going to give you a more full understanding of what has already been given. And boy, do we have a more full understanding. And can you imagine when he returns, the fullness of understanding we will then receive? It's going to be just incredible. I can't wait. All right, I had to do this teaching this week. We cannot skip over the holiday that we are in the middle of. Um, please reach out with any questions, comments, concerns, needs, supports, prayers, prayer requests. Um, and I thank you for your prayers. I know some of you do pray for me and my family. I appreciate that. We need it just as much as everybody else right now. I know people are struggling. And I hope that this podcast provides a moment in your day where you can... Maybe stop thinking about the troubles and the trials and the challenges in your life. And you can start, you can be reminded that you have every reason to trust in the Lord God Almighty. And in all the ways, he will work out all things for good for you if you love him. All right, till next time.